Welcome back to the Forking Wellness Podcast. My name is Barry Strickoff, registered dietitian. And I'm Sophie Burchin, registered nutritionist. And today we are recording a part two of Intuitive Eating because it was literally our most listened to episode. Yeah, I think everyone is just so interested. I just think like it is kind of like a new thing. People are still figuring it out. And I feel like there's still so much misconception and just like misinformation about that. Yeah, and there's so many questions around it all the time. And it's even if thing. even if those questions get answered, there's still another question off the back of it. Yeah. <laughs> but I get it. Like it is kind of like it's one of those like theory things, like theoretical things that are like hard to conceptualize unless you actually like have that moment of like, oh, I get it. Exactly. And it's such a kind of terrifying thing to throw yourself into if you have been living your life, you know, restricting or counting calories or being so controlled. Totally. Totally. Okay. Before we jump right into it, um, I thought we'd just catch up quickly because we haven't done a solo episode or a solo meeting, just us, no guests, um, in ages. And we used to do them a lot more frequently. And then we even used to do like question um, episodes where we would just like catch up and answer people's questions, which we haven't in so long. So what is going on in your life? Um, well, to be honest, I mean, things are better than, I mean... I personally, sometimes I feel like I'm a bit of a drama queen, but I did find it very difficult when the whole COVID thing took over the world. And it's kind of just been a case of adjusting to the new normal and business is picking back up, um, getting back into the swing of things. But then I've put on my Instagram a few times that I've been feeling like those waves of like just absolute frustration and being like, God's sake, like, when are we going to get back to proper normal? And then like the next week, I'll be like, okay, I'm feeling good. Like things are getting better. And then again, back into that little frustration bubble. But yeah, I feel like everyone probably feels that way where it's like, it's good. And then it's like, oh, this is so frustrating. Literally. I just feel like when I look at it, like how many months has Corona taken away from us now? Yeah, a ton, an absolute ton. I feel frustrated the most because all my family and like, like, a large group of my friends are back in America and they're just handling it so differently. So um, differently. They went into lockdown after us, but have come out of lockdown earlier. And I obviously know that's, I would say that like we're handling it better as a country. Like our rates are much more under control. They're so much lower going into another, I mean, state by state are starting to close down again, but I just feel really left out um, because I feel like I'm stuck over here and I can't do anything about it, but they're all going on by their lives and, you know, posting pictures. And it's not necessarily that I want to join them because I actually would feel quite scared, Mm. like risky. Um, But it's just the fact that I can't and just seeing that Yeah, it's just like a bit of FOMO, which is just like, I guess, a selfish thought. Um, But it is just like weird how, you know, we're just handling it really, really, really different. Yeah. Um, So that's interesting. Um, And then obviously, I just want to go back home and see my parents without putting them at risk. um, Yeah, that must be so hard for you. Yeah, so my flight was canceled in March. And I don't know when I'll be able to go back um with Mark that's the thing it's like I can go back because I'm a citizen but he Mm. can't and then coming back into this country like the even though I have a resident card the borders are just not really open between America and England yeah so um yeah it's actually I don't know when I'll be able to go home but anyways um (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm getting out of it more, which is nice. Um, I'm, I just don't know, like, at what point will things go, like, actually back to normal? Will I feel confident enough to just, like, walk into a shop um, and just, like, go shopping? Like, when will I feel confident enough to go to Westfield and, like, not worry about, like, who else tried on this piece of clothing? Yeah, that's so true. I feel like for me, it's not even the little things that I'm missing. It's more like I want to like have nice big garden parties and, you know, not have to think about, you know, where we are or how many people are there. Like I'm not really missing. I mean, I hate shopping anyway, so (laughs) that's probably why I'm not missing it. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of miss both. I just miss like that routine or just like I think for me, it's just having that freedom. Like I'm a very independent person. That's why I like city. I like can just go and do whatever I want whenever I want and now I can't it does annoy me that there's no such thing as just popping into the shops like it's like is there going to be a queue is there not going to be a queue is it really worth it like yeah and then like the forecasting well what else do I need in the next few days so I don't have to come back yeah Um, exactly a bit different but I I feel quite positive about the way things are going like we were out yesterday um we didn't go into any shops but like we were just out along the Thames and it was like crowded but nice a lot of people were wearing masks which was nice to see yeah yeah well here's hoping it just continues to move forward in a positive and encouraging way yes definitely all right cool we shall jump into intuitive eating part two um for anyone who's new to our podcast i really recommend you go back and listen to the first one because we probably won't cover so much of the basics in depth because we have a ton of other things we want to talk about Yeah, so things like the 10 principles um, and kind of just the fundamentals of what it is, then please listen to the first episode because we're not going to cover that in this one. Yeah, and definitely make sure you hear my stance. Maybe I should repeat my stance on it because or repeat your qualifications on it and my opinion on it. Okay. All right, you you go first. Okay, so I am a non-diet registered nutritionist and I have done further education slash studying in intuitive eating and non-diet nutrition and it's how I practice in the nutrition clinic and I am kind of against any kind of diet um, I do believe that everyone can benefit from eating intuitively and yeah would you say that sums up yeah definitely um so I would agree in the fact that I would kind of consider myself a non-diet dietitian, um, which is weird to say, <laughs> an anti-diet dietitian. Yeah. Diets like in our name, um, except for like medical needs for certain diets, of course. Um, my big issue with intuitive eating, and I've read it, um, I haven't done a further course on it, and I agree with it like in principle. Like I would say I am an intuitive eater, and yeah. I think principle the theory behind it is brilliant and I think everyone should become a intuitive eater I just feel like there's it's really ambiguous for a lot of people and I actually think that it's very easy to hide disordered principles behind intuitive eating and say this is what my body wants and I feel good doing this but actually there's an element of disorderness behind the fact that your body feels good having a green juice all day and nothing else but a green juice and you can easily say oh well I'm listening to my body and that's what I want but I think there is easily an element of disordered eating for a lot of people in intuitive eating but in theory I think intuitive eating is brilliant I would consider myself a non-disordered intuitive eater (laughs) Um, 
and I want everyone to get to that state. But I think from like the start to the end, there's a lot of gray. And I think for some people who don't have the right guidance, so definitely I would work with someone like yourself if that's mm-hmm. something that you want to do. But I think people doing it on their own after years of dieting or restriction, I think it's very hard to come to a place of actual intuitive eating. Yeah, and it's difficult because the thing that I see in so many of my clients is that they're still a lot of people want to grasp onto that tiny bit of control but still have that flexibility at the same time and that doesn't really exist you do have to give into it exactly and I think yeah exactly so I think that I think for some reason as soon as people like venture on this journey they they like the label of it which Mm -hmm. is another thing that like kind of frustrates me because I kind of just feel like it's almost like just normal eating patterns but intuitive eating is yeah, I, I get, completely get what you mean. I read a quote on Instagram the other day, and it was like, intuitive eating would just be eating if diet culture didn't exist. Exactly. And I almost feel frustrated that we've had to put a label on it. Yeah. Because that, the whole thing that it should not have labels, and it should just be what it is. It's just eating normally. But the fact that we've had to package it and put a label on it so people can be like, oh, I'm an intuitive eater. I'm not an intuitive eater. It gives me the same vibes as like, oh, I'm on a low-fat diet. I'm not on a low-fat diet. Mm. I kind of feel this like frustration obviously if we just called it normal eating people wouldn't know what that is like I understand the need for it but I don't know why I have this like a bit of tension towards it well it looks so different for everyone as well like my version you know my version of healthy or wellness or you know eating well-balanced food is very different to your version of it because we have different bodies we have different taste preferences different needs like so the fact that at what point is that difference actually not not in the sense of us but I'm just saying like if someone else is listening and they're like oh well my version is different than yours and my version is I don't like to eat until I like to I don't know I'm just trying to think of like a weird food yeah but, that, but when there's some sort of restriction in there that's obviously not based on like I don't know if you're intolerant to a food or something that's not you being intuitive that's you putting rules on how you can eat do you get right. what I mean? Yeah, but I think a lot of people can hide those rules being like, oh, well, my version of healthy is different than yours. Yeah, but then they're not being true to themselves. Exactly. No, that's the point. <laughs> I, I agree. Then they're not intuitive eating, but they can call themselves an intuitive yeah. eater. So, yeah, that's my big. I know it's really we can go back and forth for days. Um, <laughs> and I agree. It's like all those like if there's rules and restrictions saying you're not an intuitive eater, but they would still identify it. a lot of people would still identify as intuitive eater and have those rules and restrictions as part of their idea of what healthy is. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Okay. I can rant for ages. Let's answer some questions. Okay. <laughs> okay. So do you want to do questions first or do you want to talk a little bit about set point? And why don't we do some questions first while we're okay. on the topic of intuitive eating and then we'll dive deep into set point theory. That sounds good. Okay, so someone has asked what the benefits of intuitive eating are, because I feel like a lot of people feel like there's more benefit maybe to holding on to some of that control, holding on to some of their rules because they feel safer. Yeah, definitely. Um, That's a big thing. Yeah, but there are a lot of benefits and there is a lot of emerging research. Um, Granted, a lot of this research is just on women, so Mm -hmm. it's a little bit sexist. Um, but, um, yeah, trying to get men to participate in intuitive eating studies is clearly quite difficult. Um, but yeah, so the 
kind of perceived benefits and there's a lot of I mean the clients that I work with will kind of vouch for these things as well but it is associated with better body image Mm-hmm. And some people are quite surprised by that because they do associate intuitive eating with a lot of the time putting weight on. So they're like, how have I got better body image when I'm in a bigger body? But it's that whole trying to take kind of put health and weight in different categories, because just because you're in a smaller body, that does not mean that you're healthier. Yeah, definitely. And I also think you just learn to, you know, accept and trust your body. And through that, a lot of body acceptance, even I think we could also talk about the difference between body positivity and body acceptance. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, through your journey in intuitive eating, you increase a lot of body acceptance. So this is my body, you know, it does this and this for me, it's strong, it's fit, it's, you know, it supports me. Mm -hmm. And then kind of the, the excess weight, if, if you do have excess weight, it becomes less of an issue. Yeah. And I mean, one of the principles is to respect your body and, once you start to do that and start to actually nourish it and look after it you will feel more comfortable in your own skin yeah exactly um so yeah also higher self-esteem that that's kind of comes with them better body image as well reduce levels of stress around food and that's something i see all the time in clients is that kind of stress and frustration around eating mm-hmm. um improved metabolism and we'll actually, we'll talk about that more when we talk about set point. But um, if you are constantly dieting, you will be hindering your metabolism because it will kind of fight back and it, as a result, will slow down. Hence why, you know, some people are in a larger body, but they're only managing to eat like, I don't know, 1200 calories a day, uh, which is not where you want to be at. <laughs> no, oh my God, I feel so strongly about that. Um, but yeah, just a few more things. Um, higher levels of satisfaction, more energy, better digestion, and lower rates of emotional and disordered eating. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that maybe the research hasn't quantified as much, um, and I guess it would be at this point more observational um, data anyways, but long-term people who eat intuitively, what other health benefits do they have? Do they have lower risks of type two diabetes? Do they have improved, you know, cardiac, um, you know, or lowered cardiac risk factors, et cetera. So I think that when people maintain a stable weight over time, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of those risks kind of decrease. And then if you are, you know, approaching food from a non-emotional nourishing point of view, then I would argue that you would have lower risks of, you know, chronic health conditions related to, you know, food choices and things like that. Um, So I don't know if that data is available. I guess it would be long-term data that we probably don't have yet because all of this research is quite new. But I would be interested to see if that research does emerge within the next 15, 20 years. Yeah, and there's there's already research that says it improves things like cholesterol levels, um, you know, which people often, you know, stuff like that is becoming more prevalent. So, yeah, we will see what other research comes out. But the research we have at the moment is very positive and there's not really any research against it. Yeah. Well, again, it's like, it's just normal eating. Yeah, true. <laughs> So, of course, in my mind, it's, you know, this is the way that we should all be doing it. So, uh, I mean, I'm biased, but I think like there would it would be weird to have a negative outcome. Um, It depends how the research study is phrased that they're looking at, like um, weight loss in already obese individuals. 
to improve, I don't know, blood sugar control, that would be a skewed outcome. Um, because yeah, so I think that, um, it will be interesting and I think it will improve long-term health. Mm -hmm, Definitely. And I always say to clients as well, that stress that you've got around eating is doing far worse to overall health than just, I don't know, having that piece of cake or, you know, the extra chocolate or whatever, the actual stress around, you know, what you're putting yourself through thinking about and debating whether or not to have it is far more detrimental than just having another piece of chocolate. Yeah, exactly. Especially just even though you feel like that stress is just around that piece of food. So I'll give an example, like at nighttime, if your partner brings over a thing of ice cream and he's like, oh, do you want some? And you feel genuinely stressed about that. Not only is that stress bad for your mental health, but in your body, that stress level increases your stress hormones Mm -hmm. and increases your flight or fight or flight response. Um, So then all of a sudden you're storing more food to prepare for whatever kind of flight you might take off on. That also impacts the sleep that you get, high cortisol levels before bedtime. So then you have this like weird knock-on physiological effect that maybe you're not even thinking about. So when you reduce stress around food, it has so much more of an impact than just your mental health. It's actually like a physiological effect as well. Yeah, totally. Um, so another question we had was, how do I know if I'm actually full? Such a difficult question. I know. Um, so the thing is, is if you have been dieting for ages, you've probably been ignoring those hunger signals and your satiety signals. So when you first start, you probably won't know if you're actually full because you're not used to tuning into those signals. So again, it's just going to take you some time and you do have to be patient and you do have to learn to kind of let go of what your mind might be telling you. Um, but there is something that I use with clients, which is the hunger scale. So asking yourself how hungry you are before you eat and then what stage you're at after you eat. Um, checking in with yourself halfway through your meal, I feel like it's quite helpful. A lot of the time we're eating too quickly. Mm-hmm. Any tips you want to add? Um, I would. I like the hunger scale a lot um, because if you identify it, well, I know that everyone does it differently. So like, let's say 10 is like max fullness. Mm-hmm. That's really like a really, really uncomfortable feeling. Um, and you can kind of reflect back to a time where you felt uncomfortably full. Yeah. Uh, and then maybe like a seven, I would say a seven to eight is kind of like normal-ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you, you can assign past experiences to different numbers so it's like, what does a 10 mean? That's like a really hard concept to think, but like, oh, remember that time where you ate this and then, you know, you felt so uncomfortably full. That's what a 10 is. So it, it, it reflect back. And sometimes you have to get to a 10 to know what it feels like. So you'll never know what a 10 feels like of extreme, extreme over feeling of like overstuffed needs on, but your jeans can't move. Like you, you kind of have to experiment with it to know what it is. And I think that can be quite daunting for people but you'll never know what, what normal fullness is unless you have extreme fullness. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's also helpful to encourage, this is what I do with my clients, um, encourage them to think about maybe if you're physically hungry or emotionally hungry, because a lot of the time we are using food to comfort ourselves, which is absolutely fine. But if you're doing it every single day or every single meal, that obviously becomes very um stressful and unhelpful and it leaves you feeling guilty and not enjoying food um 
so kind of those signs that would indicate that you're physically hungry are things like low energy you know those kind of hunger pangs in your stomach um thinking about food um in a sense in a way that's going to kind of boost your um cognitive thinking or physical energy levels um or a significant amount of time has passed since you last ate um but then if it's emotional you know you might have had a bad day you might feel stressed um something that I actually used to do myself is wander around the kitchen <laughs> searching yeah. for food and it's like you know exactly what you have in your kitchen and for some reason you think that like a new food is going to pop yeah, out let me just open the fridge again and see what I <laughs> didn't see before totally um yeah when you're kind of like wondering oh what can I eat but like you're not really sure and you keep going back and forth then you're searching for something that's not actually food yeah um, like you're searching for comfort which is fine um and a lot of times food can be that comfort but if that's the only coping strategy you have that's not healthy so what other things can you do to seek comfort can you call a friend can you take a walk can you play with the animal can you you know knit like I do (laughs) or you know there's tons of other coping strategies that you can think of um so it's when the eating becomes the only one that you have yeah and I find as well because I do comfort eat sometimes you know like but when I do that I actually enjoy doing it because I don't do it all the time so when I'm like yeah I'm just going to use food to comfort my emotions it's like a nice thing for me to do whereas if I was doing that every day I'd feel like rubbish well yeah then I think that's what cycles like that self-sabotaging kind of like binge restrict cycle it's there's an element of like self-loathing and Mm -hmm. like why did I do this to myself and then you kind of get into this negative mindset about and you're like okay fine tomorrow I'll be better yeah definitely when you when you can emotionally eat and feel good about it I think that's a positive sign that you are an intuitive 100 (laughs) percent um yeah I like that um what were we just saying my mind just like actually went blank I just saw a delivery guy come into my building and like (laughs) 10 in the morning so um we were talking about how you know if you're actually full but I think we covered quite a lot there oh yeah definitely um and like I said like you have to experiment with different hunger and full uh, not hunger levels but you have to experiment with different fullness levels because if you think your 10 is actually your 7 then will you always be under eating yeah and I think it's important to tune in to asking yourself how satisfied you are versus how full you are because they can be two completely different things um I you know have had people come to me in the past where they are so full after dinner because they've filled up on diet foods you know low calorie foods because they they don't want to give into that chocolate bar or the piece of cake um but they end up doing that anyway because they don't they're chasing that satisfaction so if they'd literally just had that one dessert after dinner they would have felt satisfied whereas Mm -hmm they're making themselves feel uncomfortable to avoid the food they actually want. And it's the same for like actual food, especially I see it all the time with like healthy fats or just normal fats. Um, A lot of people will not put um, oil in their cooking or something like that. And they leave the meal feeling really unsatisfied. And if you just add a little bit of healthy fats, just like a tablespoon of healthy fats, when you're cooking, your satisfaction level will go up drastically when you've been afraid of that for so long. I personally feel the moment I add cheese to a meal becomes so much more sad I completely agree (laughs) completely and one it's because I like 
duh, I love cheese. Who doesn't? Um, but also it just adds that extra fat content and I just feel drastically more satisfied every time. Yeah. I think that's where the whole, I personally think balance plate comes into play because by adding different food groups, you are boosting your chances of feeling satisfied at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Cool. Um, how to start eating more intuitively when I've been calorie restricting um 1500 calories for the last year okay so I would actually say 1500 calories and I don't know your height and you know your current weight and your activity level um I don't know how old you are and all of those kind of go or even what gender you are and all of those kind of go into um determining your like basal metabolic rate I would actually argue that that's still under eating uh, I agree. calories I, I personally don't think that that's enough to sustain every day for a year and feel completely satisfied with so I think obviously the first step is to just get rid of the numbers so delete the app, delete whatever tracking system you have I know that that can be really difficult because it, it letting go of that sense of control is so daunting but just remember what in in you giving that up what are you expecting to gain so think like all the positives that you're looking forward to all the things you want to accomplish that maybe this 1500 number has prevented you from accomplishing maybe write it out so why have you even come to this decision of giving it up like there's obviously a reason and motivations you have and maybe just clearly outlining that and just putting one step at a time so one step just delete the app delete the numbers out of your mind. Um, and then, you know, once you've achieved that, we can set a new goal and something like that. But also I think that you should probably be doing this with a qualified health professional. I don't think it's always beneficial to do it alone. Yeah, I agree. If it's something you've been doing for so long, it is so difficult, like I said, to let go of that bit of control. Um, but that's kind of what you need to do. You just need to take that step. And I always, you know, I remember someone said to me once because obviously I used to have a very difficult relationship with food and they said you know if it doesn't work you can go back to it you know that option is always there um which probably it might not have been the best thing to say looking back at the time but um you know it's it's you it's your body and your life you know it's completely up to you how you live it so maybe just have in your head that you're going to try it and you know you don't have to stick to it if you don't want to but just you're never going to know unless you Kind of give your body another option. Yeah, I agree 100%. Fabulous. Um, next, someone's asked if it's possible to be vegan and eat intuitively. I think this comes down to the issue of are you hiding restrictive principles behind intuitive eating? Now, I'm not saying veganism is always from a place of restriction. So there's obviously like a huge ethical side of veganism, which, you know, I stand by a hundred percent, like it is better for the environment. I totally agree with that. Like you can't refute that. That's like, mm-hmm. um, but I think it really comes down to you being completely honest with yourself. Yeah. And I think really, I think, well, I think you have to become an intuitive eater first before you can then become a vegan intuitive eater. Yeah, I also, I'm not massively keen on labeling yourself. I mean, you can be a vegan without being like, I'm a strict vegan. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just feel like we can, like, I, 
don't eat meat but I do eat fish because I feel like I thrive better when I include fish in my diet um but I I don't really say I'm vegetarian I just I don't know I just think there's so much pressure um to be a vegan or you know to not eat certain things um so you don't have to label yourself like I said a strict vegan but I would question whether or not it's something you genuinely want to do or something you feel like you should be doing because that yes like you said it's you know very good for the environment obviously better for the animals um but there are other things you can be doing in in regards to the way you live your life that can have as much of an impact I mean things like taking an airplane like you know getting on a flight that's hugely impacting um you know the sustainability of the planet so yeah ask yourself if it's something you want to be doing or something you feel like you should be doing um and I think like you said asking yourself if you're actually in a good place with food and you're in the best decision sorry the best place to make that decision yeah I think that if you've never become an intuitive eater without a restriction it's going to be really hard to become an intuitive eater with that restriction Mm -hmm. Um, Again, like you said, and I completely agree, there are so many other ways that you can benefit the environment and the animals. Um, if that's something that you need to play around with first while like kind of navigating this intuitive eating journey, um, I definitely think that. And also, I think, you know, veganism doesn't necessarily mean healthier at oh, all. Oh, completely. I, do you know, I was just about to add that whether or not you're vegan that if you are eating intuitively you should be including kind of those fun foods that you're eating purely for your pleasure and enjoyment and you know sugar is vegan you know (laughs) vegan sweet treats are not healthier than non-vegan ones so if you are including those in your diet then that to me would be more of a sign that yeah you know you're going vegan for the right reasons but if you're using it as an excuse to restrict all of those kind of cakes and chocolates and things just because they're not vegan then yeah, I kind of just took over what you were saying. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. And I, I actually wasn't even going to say that. So it's good that, you know, you touched on that because I was going to go down the route of like vegan processed food. So a lot, it, it's actually quite difficult um, to be vegan, I think, because, you know, your your options are so limited. And one of the great things is that a lot of companies have kind of solved that solution with, you know, um, different uh, protein sources and stuff. But yes, they do tend to be quite processed and may have added ingredients that, you know, we're not always, you know, used to eating if you're just having like a piece of chicken or a piece of salmon. So I think that if you are still afraid of those foods, then that's a sign to me that this veganism is also a restriction. Yeah, definitely. And variety is so crucial to anyone's diet. So, you know, if you are at the point where you've you've gone vegan for maybe the wrong reasons, you're going to have a really, really limited amount of food that you can eat. Yeah, it's going to be detrimental to your overall health. Um, But yeah, so... can you be a vegan and eat intuitively yes it's possible but Mm -hmm. I think that it's so important to become intuitive eater and then add an ethical element of veganism into it before just going full into it okay I'm going to be a vegan intuitive eater um like we said there's other things you can do for the environment that don't involve food yeah definitely um okay and someone has asked we'll we'll do two more questions because I want to get on to that point um 
is it possible to lose weight or at least maintain a weight whilst eating intuitively? I feel like this is kind of a set point question. Yeah, actually, we'll touch on that in a minute. We'll just go to the next question. Um, How did you get into this career? Because it's something I would love to do in the future. Okay, I'll let you take that one because you're the intuitive eating expert. (laughs) So when I decided I wanted to be a nutritionist, it genuinely came from a place of there must be a way to eat well to kind of support your overall health whilst enjoying food I genuinely and I had no idea what intuitive eating was at the time I just knew that I wanted to find a way of just making food less kind of anxiety provoking I guess because that was the place I was in um so yeah so I went to study nutrition um I did my master's at UCL where I met Barry um and then I kind of, when I came, we didn't get taught intuitive eating on the course at all. It was all very clinical based. Yeah, I was going to say quite the opposite because we did yeah. our, our um, master's was more eating disorder um, focused. And actually, you can't be an intuitive eater with an eating disorder or even like shortly after recovering from an eating disorder. So um, intuitive eating was not something we talked about. Yeah, no, if you're clinically kind of underweight and you are suffering um, with an eating disorder, it's very, very difficult. I mean, you can adopt some of the principles, but you... I mean, I don't think it's possible to be call yourself an intuitive eater whilst... <laughs> Yeah, clinically underweight and suffering. No, with I, I don't think your mind can support it. We know that no. a certain weight narrows your uh, cognitive thinking. So your long-term generalization is negatively impacted. So you tend to have like more of a tunnel vision um, outlook to decision making. Um, and I think that it, if you're not able to see the bigger picture, then intuitive eating is contraindicated 100%. Yeah. Um, So yeah, when I finished uni, I became more familiar with the intuitive eating approach. I did a lot of my own research to fully decide if it was a route I wanted to go down. Because I remember talking to you about it quite a few times, Barry, and I was kind of back and forth with it. Um, But yeah, I did further education. I did Laura Thomas's course. um, And I just, I just really, it really resonated with me. And I've seen firsthand how helpful it can be. I've worked with, I only work with clients intuitive eating now. And it, I see them improve and they're happier and they're healthier. And yeah, I just think it's such a beneficial way um, or approach to have towards food. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. I think my, I'm not an intuitive eating practitioner um, by any means, but just as a dietitian, I think that, um, I think for general weight management, so I think Um, I used to see a lot of clients for a ton of different reasons. So whether people were coming to me for like acid reflux or, you know, heart disease or et cetera, there was always like a weird underlying um, restriction or these weird distorted diet thoughts that Mm -hmm. everyone has. And I used to see it all the time. And that was actually one of the frustrating things for me when I was working in private practice before I did my master's was that people would come to me for type 2 diabetes but there was this element of like diet culture involved and I was like I actually don't feel like I can truly help these people because I don't have the right knowledge that I need because yes I can treat their type 2 diabetes and put them on a carb control diet and get their blood sugar level stable but it's not treating the root cause of why they've ended up here yeah I also think it's so important um to connect with other health professionals in the industry I mean I have loads of different um 
you know, nutrition friends and dietitians and other health professionals and just seeing their views and their practice can really help mould how you practice. And I mean, Rhiannon, who's still my mentor and friend, has been invaluable in my practice because it's not only the information and the knowledge that you have, it's how you communicate that with clients and help them and motivate them. Yeah. So, yeah, getting, you know, networking and finding really good mentors and other health professionals is really helpful as well. And that's not always something that they teach you in unique. Like I know. No, not at all. We had one nutrition counseling um, module um, and it was kind of like much more like role play kind of yeah. like case study stuff. Like um, I remember they even hired uh, student actors to come in for our final assessment for like how we would, you know, actually conduct a session. Yeah. Um, but that was only for one semester. So what, that's three months and that's the majority of your job. So Literally. You know, it takes practice and you have to be exposed to different individuals and you can see like, oh, I like how they did this. You know, this is not my style, et cetera. So getting tons of experience and shadowing, like that is so important. 100%, yeah. Fab, so we'll move on to set point now and then we'll answer that question about if it can help you lose weight or maintain weight. So do you want to jump in and define set point or yeah, do you want me totally. to no um so I think actually I think that there is some you know research stating that set point might be a misleading term and actually setting points like the plural is mm-hmm. appropriate because it is not one specific number but it's actually a range of like 10 to 20 pounds yeah. that your body um, will naturally sit at. Um, so actually at work, we just did like this amazing um, article explaining set point and the analogy that the um, the dietitian who wrote the article uses, I'm going to steal it, but I will credit her, go to secondnaturehealth.io, uh, secondnature.io slash set point theory. I'm sure it'll show up. Um, but she was saying that the analogy of like your core body temperature likes to sit at 37 degrees Celsius so if you get hotter, you will start to sweat to cool mm-hmm. yourself down. Yeah. And if you get colder, you will start to shiver, shiver. to get more body. Yeah. And that kind of means, um, and we can apply that same homeostasis, so maintaining a balance to our weight. So our weight likes to sit at a 10 to 20 pound weight range. So setting points, not point. And you know, through various activities, our body will either raise, you know, speed up the the process or slow it down and store more. Um, but we will always like to sit at that natural, you know, weight range that our body feels comfortable at. But, and I'm sure this is the confusing point, that weight range looks different for absolutely everyone. So you could be the same height, you could be the same age, you could be the same sex, but two people standing next to each other will have two different set points. Yeah, and and they can eat the same in a day and they'll still look different. 100%. So that really comes down to genes, epigenetics, and um, your environment. Yeah. Um, So it's hard to compare yourself. Oh, I want to look like this person. Well, is that within your DNA? Is your set point going to allow you to? And I think this is why when so many people venture on like a weight loss journey, they hit this big plateau Mm -hmm. and I can't get past this, but I really want to get down to this weight. And you have to say to yourself, is your 
goal weight within your set point weight range because your body will absolutely resist. It will be hard to get past that. Yeah. And people often get to this point, like you said, and they're like, oh, you know, I can get to like 60 kilos or whatever it is. But then like I always put the weight back on. And it's like, it's because your body is literally screaming at you, being like, just stop. And a lot of the time, if you are restricting, it will result in a binge. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people will put that down to lack of willpower mm-hmm. and beat themselves up over it because, you know, well, they couldn't resist just going all out and, you know, having whatever a binge looks like to you. Um, but that's nothing to do with willpower. That's your biological reaction to the fact that you've been restricting for so long and you just cannot contain yourself anymore. Exactly. And so there is some evidence that you can reset your um, set point, um, but it's actually quite difficult. And um, that's more for people who have a lot of weight to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you start out at a much, much higher weight and you're kind of on a weight loss journey, you might plateau and then um, that's your new set point. But the reason why you plateau for maybe even up to six months is really because your body's adjusting to its new normal. And then if you still have a lot of excess weight to lose, if you continue with those healthy habits, it will start to go down. So you can reestablish your set point, but only if that only if your body thinks that it can, if that makes sense, if it's healthy enough to do so. Um, So that I would say for more people on the upper end of the spectrum, where you have a lot of weight to lose, um, more people on the lower end of the spectrum, your body's not going to reset it any lower because it's not going to be healthy. Yeah. And just so people know exactly what set point is, it's that kind of level that you will sit at, meaning you can eat comfortably, you can eat enough food to support your overall well-being and you know you're not thinking about food every day because that's something we see a lot isn't it in people who are constantly trying to battle with how much food they're eating it consumes your entire day yeah and the research is really interesting on this because it's almost like a one-sided argument within the body because your body will really really fight for you to not go below your set point but it's actually quite easy to go above your set point um but that comes with, you know, other habits and stuff. And if you, I don't, how am I trying to word this? That um, your body will not let you drop below the set point, but it can go the other way quite easily. But if you're engaging in normal, healthy habits, um, what I'm trying to say is if you've gained a bit of weight, like I could say like in lockdown, there's a large percent of people who feel as though they may have gained a bit of weight. And what I'm trying to say is that when lockdown is over and we resume back to our normal habits of maybe walking to work or being mm-hmm. a, um, just being a bit more mobile, your weight will go back down to your set point. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like when you're ill and you lose your appetite or you're being sick or whatever, um, you know, you might lose a significant amount of weight in the few weeks that you're ill. But when you recover, you you know you'll you'll gain your appetite back and you'll kind you'll of come back. back up yeah yeah you'll go back to that normal weight yeah totally um so yeah so let's talk about the effects it has on your metabolism because again going back to what we said about people who say you know I get to that goal weight and then nothing happens yeah so I think if you are trying to go below your set point weight, that means that you're going to have to engage in certain restrictive tendencies to actually fight your body's natural 
um, need to be at this weight. So if you drop below, and that's really, really hard to maintain, and that's why a lot of people regain the weight, that's because your metabolism is actually slowing down because your body says, no, this isn't right. I need to conserve energy. Or your your metabolic functions will start or your other uh, secondary functions will start to shut off. So that's why a lot of women, you know, you lose your period when you're at a certain low weight because that's your body signal saying, this isn't a healthy weight for me to reproduce at. Um, I'm going to turn this off because it's a non-essential function. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, our bodies are actually so clever and they are very intuitive, but it's kind of that mind-body connection that um, needs to be revisited in order yeah. to try to re- kind of respect what your body needs. Yeah. And even like your core body temperature will begin to drop because your body doesn't really, or your body determines that, you know, maintaining a 37 degree Celsius kind of body mm-hmm. temperature is maybe non-essential. So it could drop a few um, degrees. And that's why a lot of people who are underweight always can plane of being cold so that's yeah. a side effect um and then your body actually can go on to develop something called lanugo hair which are these like fine hairs um that cover your body and in sense keep you warmer yeah. so body is really really clever at kind of adapting to these non-normal principles that we or activities that we put ourselves in yeah I think if you're someone who's really struggles with the idea of maybe being a little bit bigger than you want to be it's so important to address that and maybe even seek psychological support because you can't kind of let go of all these food rules if you're so hung up on how you look still you do it's like what we talked about before is accepting your body you don't have to be in love with it and be like I have the best body ever but just respecting it more and appreciating that you are healthy and maybe you you, you know you're not suffering with a certain type of illness and you know you're able to walk every day and breathe and you know run if you want to um and just accept that we are all supposed to be different shapes and sizes. Yeah. And I think this is one of the issues with BMI or this kind of like ideal body weight of like being a size zero. Like it is so unnatural. And for so unrealistic. To It's just not in their DNA. It's not in their genes. And it's, and if you were to actually achieve that, you would put yourself in such an unhealthy state. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and you know, a BMI is, important for kind of like a public health measure um but for example like a bmi range is 18.5 to 24.9 if i personally sat at you know calculating oh what weight would i be if i was at an 18.5 i kid you not my mom would fly over to the uk take me home and put me in a hospital like even though technically that is healthy and i'm using air quotes like that's like within normal bmi that's Mm -hmm. not normal for my body type and actually even though you know in a public health sense to be like oh no but you're okay I would in no shape be okay yeah I always use that example as well for like portion sizes on the on the packets of food because like you said we need them as for a public health measure but that doesn't mean that everyone has to stick to those portion sizes you might need more you might need less yeah exactly so I think it's it's so hard because we start to compare ourselves and we need those you know, like we said, those public health comparisons, like those portion sizes and those healthy, you know, weight ranges. Um, But it's not a one, like everyone is so different. And that's why we say that you might be super healthy, but your weight is a bit higher because for you, that's the weight that your body likes to sit at and you might be engaging in all the right behaviors. Um, But actually to go any lower, you'd have to start restricting. Mm -hmm. And that's 
worth it. I think that's almost what discourages some people as well is because they do compare themselves and they almost have the like it's like an inability to just you know if you're sat across your friend from the table and you're out for dinner and they've had a salad but you wanted a pizza you feel guilty for that and yeah. they're like you know I should, shouldn't have had something that was so high in calories or whatever but don't worry about what you know would it be okay then if your friend was eating a pizza too like why should that make a difference do you know what I mean exactly and it's just learning to focus on what's on your plate and what you're eating and what your body needs because what the other person eating is literally irrelevant to your health yeah so irrelevant and also like you don't know what other activities like they might have had like six pizzas for lunch you don't know that exactly (laughs) um yeah, so taking that comparative element out. But I think set point is also kind of frustrating for people coming from the other way. So if you've been historically underweight, so if you've been restricting, and then you're kind of afraid because you're like, oh, if I keep eating, I'm going to gain all this weight. Um, and I think it's hard because basically your body's mechanism then is to go to extreme hunger. So you have this like hyperphagia, which is like this extreme hunger. And that's your body's mechanism trying to reach its set point. And set point is actually determined when you go this way by the amount of fat mass that you have. Um, So your body, especially for women, we need fat in our body. We need it for our hormones. We need it for our reproduction. We need it for, you know, organ insulation, et cetera. Like fat is so important. It's not a dirty word. So that kind of fat mass will dictate your hunger levels and dictate, you know, how much you need to eat to reach that set point. Um, But even if you're going the other way and, you know, you've been restricting and then you feel like you put on a ton of weight, once your eating habits start to normalize, you may end up going down a bit to its new normal. So uh, I don't know how to explain what I'm saying, but basically... Um, it is a range. So even though you feel like, oh, if I start to eat normal, I'm going to put on a ton of weight. Maybe in the short term you might, but your body will eventually even out and your hunger levels aren't going to stay that high forever because once you put back that fat mass, it will lower. Your hunger yeah. levels will then start to dip and you'll yeah. have this, like steady kind of hunger and satiety flow. It's like when, um, you know, eating disorder patients who are severely underweight, they will need to eat more than they will do when they are at a normal weight because they're on a weight gain diet. Exactly. And I think that scares a lot of people. Yeah, Um, definitely. They're like, oh, I'm going to eat like this forever. And it's like, no, we just need to have you eat like this so you can restate And then we could figure out what your new normal looks like then. Yeah. I think my biggest piece of advice would just focus on your health and focus on how you feel as opposed to how you look. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to the question, is it possible to lose weight or to help you maintain weight? It will depend on you and your body size and your previous eating habits. It might be the case that as kind of like a byproduct of what you're doing, you do lose a little bit of weight. You might put on weight. You might stay exactly the same. But there is research to say that it does help with maintaining weight. So that's not weight loss or weight gain. It's just it helps you maintain a weight. Yeah, in the long term. But how we get there, like you said, is, is like, yeah. if you if you're coming from a place of restriction, then yeah, maybe you might, you know, put on a bit of weight before it levels out. Or if you're coming from a place of overeating and maybe super emotional eating, when we kind of eliminate that or decrease the frequency of that happening, you will maybe lose weight. Yeah. Um, 
So I don't think that you should ever enter intuitive eating for the need to control your weight. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, oh, well, I'm an emotional eater. I know that if I do this intuitive eating diet, I'm going to lose weight. That's the wrong attitude to have. Yeah. Um, And I think if you are entering it for that reason, that you're not going to be able to achieve true intuitive eating status. Yeah. And a lot of the time, a lot of people do have to accept that they might put on a bit of weight initially because they've been restricting for so long, like you said, and they'll have that need to kind of overeat, but that will come down. Yeah, definitely. Like if you've never allowed yourself to have like chocolate chip cookies, then one of the principles of intuitive eating is to, you know, free range, just have cookies. And you might even need to experiment what happened if I ate chocolate chip cookies for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for three days, how would I feel? And yeah, obviously if you eat chocolate chip cookies for breakfast, lunch, and dinner in the short term, you would probably put on weight, um, mainly just because your glycogen storage (laughs) would go through the roof. Um, but you know, that's not like your body will start to level out and then you realize, oh, wow, I feel like absolute crap if I eat nothing but chocolate chip cookies. Um, and then, kind of the need to constantly eat them might slowly and gradually dissipate. And then you see it as like, oh, when I'm craving it, I'll have it. But that constant crave isn't there because you've allowed yourself to accept it. Yeah, like literally you'd feel rubbish eating greens all day. You'd feel rubbish eating cookies all day. That's why we encourage that balance. Oh my God, I would feel like absolute crap if I eat nothing but like a salad all day. Even the thought of that makes me feel ill. <laughs> so ill. I, I'd rather have the cookies all day. <laughs> I'd be so lethargic. Are you kidding? Oh my God. I would actually not even, like someone would have to serve me day two because there's no way I could stand up in the kitchen and do it myself. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so good. Yeah, thinking about it both ways and maybe the examples that historically are being used are not the opposite. So if you eat nothing but apples all day, how would you feel? Yeah. Literally. So maybe asking yourself questions such as, you know, what do I actually want to eat? You know, I always like to ask clients to take away any labels that you've got around food. So pretend that all food has the same nutritional value, um, same, you know, amount of calories or fats or whatever. What do you actually want to eat? Yeah. And they're quite surprised. Yeah, definitely. Um, I love that question. My first thing is always a Caesar salad with shrimp. <laughs> so <laughs> random. <laughs> but when you just said it, that's the first thing that came to my head. That's so funny. <laughs> that's like my go-to. It's like my absolute favorite. It's so comforting and just like perfect balance of like cheese and protein and vegetables. <laughs> Anyways, there was something else I wanted to um, mention that an intuitive eating journey is super self-reflective. Like you have to get really honest with yourself. You have to be in a place to be, you know, emotionally available to yourself Mm -hmm. um, and be willing to kind of open your mind and reflect and get super honest. So if you're not in that place mentally to be able to do that and you still resist those activities, then again, maybe you're not ready and that's fine. Yeah. But But like you said at the beginning, I think it's definitely helpful to if you know you want to but you're still having troubles kind of breaking down those barriers working with a non-diet professional it can be really really helpful yeah because yeah and I see it all the time like even I think 
one of the reasons, and I don't know, this is a complete speculation, but maybe one of the reasons that, you know, the research is so heavily, you know, female focused is like when I ask Mark like these like reflective questions, he just like brushes me off. He's like, whatever. But I think that, you know, maybe there's an element that we are as females a bit more self-reflective and we're mm-hmm. more honest with our feelings and men tend to be a bit more closed up. And I hate generalizing like that because that's not yeah. always true, obviously. Um, but I do think there's still that like stigma for like emotions. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, you have to be at a place where you're super willing to, you know, be a bit more introspective and why did I decide to do that or what else was going on in my life? Could I have been, you know, um, I don't know, seeking some comfort or maybe I was, you know, I don't know. You know what I'm trying to say. No, I know. And maybe like, you know, what is it that you want out of life? I know that sounds so deep, but like, do you want to spend the rest of your life hung up on your food choices? Because it does take over your entire day and that that won't stop until you address it. Exactly. Cool. I feel like we answered a ton of questions. Yeah, I'm glad we did. It just shows how much that is to cover. Because we could talk for so much longer, and this we is the second even episode. Do a part three. If yeah, need. maybe if it's needed. <laughs> if you guys still have a ton of questions, um, let us know. Either message us on the Forking Wellness podcast or email us at workingwellness at gmail um, and that'll kind of help determine if we need to do a part three um, and maybe a more specific size. Maybe we do a deep dive into just like one of the principles, like the food yeah. police or something like that. That's a good idea. Cool thing. So as always, please rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Working Wellness. And um, yeah, tell your friends. We'll be back next week. Bye, guys. Bye.